How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Nice. Hey, Anne, so good to have you back. Thank you for having me back. It's great to be here. Yeah, so what's been happening since we chatted with you last? Well, there's this little pandemic thing that's been going on, but other than that, things are are peachy. Busy, busy. I I bet. I mean, and you're calling in from where tonight? I'm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah, wow. Well, Pennsylvania certainly uh, was on the map recently. We'll leave that alone. (laughs) So tell tell us about the new book. So... I love the theme, small mistakes, big consequences, but this one is for interviews. So let's, let's hear, how did you get the inspiration for this one? Well, the whole series, Small Mistakes, Big Consequences, is focused on helping people learn about little things that can get in their way and make a big difference in their success. And interviews are such an important part of how you either make your way into the job world or you move up in the job world. So the thought was take the basic premise and focus in on a very specific event, the interview, and really highlight how people can be successful and get that job of their dreams. It's wonderful. And, And, you know, it fits right in with the I am. Small changes can have big effects. We didn't always say that the small change can have a positive effect, but can have a really big effect nonetheless. So the the book has a whole bunch of them. Let's um let's just start start with the first one. How about the late arriver? Let's go there. Tell us about the late arriver. So the late arriver is the person the interview is scheduled and they've not done anything to prepare. They come rushing in. They often are disheveled, out of breath, and the message that they're sending to the interviewer is that this interview is not a priority for them. They're ill-prepared. They haven't taken the time to know where the interview is taking place or even learn the technology in the, in the world of video interviews. It's really important to know your way through the technology. And when you start off on that downside of it, where someone doesn't think that you're taking their time seriously and being respectful of it, it's a big hill to climb to get ahead. And right now, so many jobs have hundreds of applicants. And as an interviewer, I don't mean this to sound crass, but I'm looking for easy ways to sift through the the field of interviewees so that I can get to that best candidate fast because when we're looking for somebody, we need them. And somebody who doesn't take the time to arrive on time and be prepared for the interview, frankly, it's hard to give them another chance. This should be really important to them. And when you show up late, it doesn't set a good impression. Now, I will say it happens. Traffic accidents, your internet is down. 
notify somebody. If you are going to be late, let them know so they can be prepared to either reschedule or make a different plan with you. Don't just assume that people will understand that you're late. Yeah, it, it's so important. There are so, and folks, I, I hope you're listening out there because you know there are a lot of people who are going to be looking for jobs and how you approach this this book is the book that you want because it will teach you the small things that you need to do and that's why i wanted to start off right with this one because that's the beginning of the interview right you show up even a couple of minutes late not prepared what's the message you're really sending to the person it's not it's not respect no it's not good. Mark, has that, has that ever happened? You know, because you've, you've got a business, Styles Law. Folks ever shown up late, unprepared for your interviews? You know, I would, I would imagine, and nothing sticks out in my head, but it definitely would leave an impression, right? Because it, it's, it's very minor, but it's not at all. Because what's going to happen when we need something done on time? Mm. Is it not that important? Because that's what they're showing us that it's not that important. But there are there are exceptions, right? The traffic and all that, and the apologies, and you can see the 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 you know the fear and the and the disheveled um, of, of something that really went badly. And you might want to give them a second chance on it. But if they're very callous about it, and it's you know you'd be lucky to have me kind of attitude. It's probably not going to work out. And those first impressions are really important. You know, uh, timeliness is, uh, that's probably why it's the first one. Right. right? It's the first one. Sense. You know, and it's, um, it's so important. And you're right. People make mistakes, but you can tell, right? What, what would you look for if somebody was late, but, they had every intention of being there on time. I, I was going to say one of the things that's included in the book is the other side of the table. And there are circumstances where somebody is late for an interview and there's a perfectly legitimate explanation for it. And all of the different characters, I include both the tips for the interviewee, but also for the interviewer. So you can mm. understand when is somebody late because they don't really care or when is somebody a sincerely great candidate who just had a really bad day and it's important to see it from both sides not labeling somebody for the mistake and trying to understand what to do with this person there's probably in many cases there's a really good candidate under some of these small mistakes and give them a chance yeah and, and this also fits right in with the i am right? It's much more rewarding to wonder why people do what they do. And how do you know? You ask them, you know, geez, what's going on? You were kind of late. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I wanted to be, I apologize. I don't mean to be disrespectful of your time. And you can hear that. You can hear that sincerity in someone. Has that ever happened in your career, Anne, where somebody showed up late for an interview with you, but you knew they wanted the job? Yes. And, um, Ironically, an, an intern that we had a couple of years ago showed up late and the, the story was kind of funny, but he was completely lost. 
but he called us and said he was completely lost. And ironically, he was lost a block away from where our office was. So I do recommend that you practice going to your destination so you know where it is. But he took the time to call and say, I'm, I'm on my way, but I've gone around the block multiple times. I cannot find it. And because he called, we were able to direct him to our office. So that call made all the difference. If he didn't, if he just showed up like he didn't care, it would have been an entirely different perception. And he got the job. Yeah. Great story. And there's some great tips here, folks. You really want to get this book. And how, how, how do people actually get the book? The book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, anywhere that books are sold. Look it up, guys. Oh, it's great. You know, it's, it's just such a wonderful read. And it's a series of Small Mistakes, Big Consequences, which I love because I, I can't wait to hear what the next one is and we'll come back. So what, what should we jump to next? Let's, should we go right to the personal shopper? and talk about that let's hear about that sure. well the personal shopper is the person that shows up for the interview and instead of asking pertinent questions about the job or the company or what success looks like in a role they're asking about benefits they're asking about health insurance and how much vacation time they'll get and when are they when do they get promoted and what are all of these extra things that come with the job. And unfortunately, the mistake that that, or the impression that that makes on the interviewer is that this person doesn't care about the job. They only care about themselves. And yes, benefits are important, but get the job first, then negotiate the benefits. Because getting the job is about, if I'm the interviewer, showing me why you are the best candidate to help our company succeed. We have a great benefits package, but we don't post our job to sell you on our benefits. We post our job because we need somebody to do a job. And when you come in and show that you can do that job well, then we'll talk about the benefits. And so it's really important, even though that might be critical to you, you have to have that health insurance or you need to know about the vacation um, program. Even though it's critical to you, wait until you get the job offer, then talk about the benefits. If the benefits don't suit you, then you don't accept the job offer. But don't miss the opportunity because you focus on benefits too soon in the discussion. But what about the balance of the interview and interviewee where, that candidate is so strong that they want to know that this is the right place for them. Therefore, they're going to ask these questions to make sure that your company is a good fit for me. I think there's two sides to that, Mark, and you make a really good point. As an interviewee, it's really important for you to also be interviewing the company and learning the culture and figuring out what's truly expected of you so that you know that this job is good for you as much as they know it's good for them. I don't have a problem with getting to a benefits discussion on interview two or three as you're making your way through the process. When I'm talking about the personal shopper, that's somebody who shows up and those when the interview is going on and I say, do you have any questions? 
they say, well, what's your health insurance or how much time do I get off? So it's not question one. Yes, it's important to know, but it, when somebody asks you what your questions are, have those questions be about the role and how your success will be measured and what's expected of you and what the company culture is, not about your shopping list. Yeah, and, and you say that right here, the solution is focus on what you can do for the company. Because that's, that's the thing that the company is looking for. That's what's going to get you the job. What can you do for me later? You know, you can ask, well, what do I get? It's it's fascinating how many people lead with that, though. And, it, and as you explain it, you remind me of what a bad taste that leaves in my mouth when they haven't really asked anything about the job, but to say, what are the benefits? I, I, I know exactly what you're saying, but I'm wondering if it's just pure inexperience also, you know, where they don't really have any questions and they go into the what's in it for me questions right away. Well, and that's why going into an interview, it's critically important to go into that interview with prepared questions that are excellent questions about the company, about the job, and practice those questions. Practice the answers that you may give to typical questions. So when somebody starts asking you questions, you've got a, a pool of answers to pull from. And also, everybody will ask, what questions do you have? Right. And I'm not looking so much for what the actual question is but how good that question is mm. has somebody actually thought about have they researched our company have they looked into this role and when they ask great questions about that that shows me they're committed and it also gets me interested in what's important to them and that really sets a positive stage it's it's relationships folks i mean that's what this is about and this initial interview sets a foundation for the kind of relationship that you're going to have with your company with all these people i think that's another thing is, is and and we have um the messy dresser as one of the chapters here so let's let's get right to that the messy dresser so the messy dresser is somebody who hasn't taken time to think about their appearance they and and Tom I loved what you said about clean and well put together and if you come in all disheveled and holes in your shirt or your cuffs are coming out of your pants or worst case you smell bad it's not going to work it people make their first impressions before you say a single word and the way you present yourself your body language the way you carry yourself and the way you are groomed and dressed make that first impression make it great because you don't want to give people reasons not to continue the conversation and certainly don't give them reasons to doubt you start off with that great first impression it sets a stage for you to build a great case for the role mm -hmm. I, I, I want to just back up a bit. I know we asked you this the last time, but how how did you get the idea and the inspiration to write these books? I've always been very interested in behavior and how it impacts 
people's success. So whether it's working with people, coaching them on leadership, or just really focusing on myself and learning things that worked and things that didn't work, I've always been interested in it. And as I'm becoming a more seasoned leader, I feel it's my obligation to share what I learned along the way with others so that they don't make those same mistakes. Give them a chance to start ahead of the game and learn some of these basic skills that get in your way, but people won't generally tell you about them. They won't coach you on these types of things. And if you can learn them and improve upon them themselves and then teach people on your team, it's success for everybody all around. It's mm, great. Well, we actually have a question coming in from YouTube. Uh, no, it's from Facebook, right? How do we deal with overqualified candidates? Do we have one of those? We've got the overconfident overachiever right there, chapter two. So the overconfident overachiever is somebody who comes in and they're ready to tell you how great they are for the role and how they can run this company. And they'll tell you everything that's wrong with the company and everything that's perfect and great about them. I'm not sure it's the same question. So overconfident right. overachiever, you don't you want to tone it down and again, be about presenting the best candidate for the role. And I think an overqualified candidate is somebody who, if they've showed up for that job, even recognizing that they're overqualified, give them a shot, mm. see what they can offer. If they're willing to do that job for which they're overqualified and they're not using it as a stepping stone to a bigger job, they're sincerely interested in the role, you could have a diamond in the rough. You could gain somebody who's got an excellent skill set to do a job that you might imagine is below them, but they're willing to do. Watching out for that overqualified person who's coming in and just using this lower level position to get their foot in the door because they're not really interested in that role, but they're interested and moving forward. And you can find that out through the questions, asking asking them what they see in their future, what their career goals are, why they're interested in a role like this when their experience demonstrates a much more senior or, or um, a larger role in a company. And I think it's fair to ask that and then listen to the sincerity of their answer. There are many people that are overqualified who can't find a job at their level and are just happy to get back in the workforce and are willing to do something at a lower level and they'll do a phenomenal job if you give them a chance. Mm. Great answer. Yeah. Has, has that ever happened in, in your career where, where somebody's come in who was really overqualified, but was just so enthusiastic? Yes, we've had a lot of second career folks. And ironically, people who have retired from maybe a more senior position, but they're looking to have something, they're not, they're not ready to leave the workforce. And we see people like that who are really interested in working in our stores where they're very, they want to be helpful to people in 
buying their insurance or helping them solve problems in their care process. And they are okay with that job. It's, it's a nine to five job. They don't have to worry about anything other than showing up, helping people and going home. And for many people, after you've had a big career with a lot of responsibility, showing up, helping people and going home is a welcome gift to them. So yes, we do see it. We, we see people like that that come in. That's great. So which one should we do next? There are so, can we talk about the Gawker? Let's talk about that one, because I think in our day and age, that is such an important one to, to address. Yes. The gawker is the person who, instead of making good professional eye contact, takes what they think is a secret opportunity to look somebody up and down. Mm. And you might assume that one gender would do this over another, but I'll tell you, it happens on both both sides of, of the gender wheel. And whether you're looking somebody up and down because you don't like their outfit or you're looking them up and down because you think they look hot, you don't get away with it. Everybody notices. You can't take that quick look and think that somebody isn't going to see it. And unfortunately, what that does is it immediately changes the tone of the conversation away from a professional conversation and into a more social conversation. It also doesn't present you, if you're the person doing the gawking, as professional. It makes you look shallow. It makes you look um, inappropriate. And Dr. Joe, you're so right. In the day of the Me Too movement, you just can't do that. I mean, you shouldn't do it regardless of that, but it makes it even worse because people's collective awareness around this type of behavior in the workplace has been raised. And if you're doing it now, that means you're not even listening to the general cadence of the world and how to be respectful to others, regardless of gender in the workplace. Yeah. And that's so important. Again, you know, these, these little things, and that's what this book is about, you know, how these little things can have these really big effects. And, and sometimes people just, you're not thinking. If you're in a job interview, you've got to be thinking and sharp and aware of what's going on because that's what they're looking for, right? You want somebody who's aware and cognizant. So that eye contact, go on. Well, I was going to say paying attention. We, we practice so much on the words that we're going to use. And we forget about our body language, our facial expressions, even the tone of our voice. Yet those are the things that drive another person's perception. And only after they're making assumptions based on those elements, do they actually listen to the part we prepared, which is the words. So raising awareness around these behavioral components is an important part of why I put the books together to help people be aware of more than just the words that they're preparing, but preparing their whole self for that interview. Sometimes people are oblivious and that actually, let's get down to that one, the downlooker. Can we talk about that one? Because maybe that fits with some of that. What's the downlooker? So, 
The downworker is that person who is more introverted, shy, and is, when I'm saying the downworker, they're looking down during the interview. They're not, if I were talking to you right now and just looking down and answering the question, instead of looking at you with confidence and engaging. And that, the reason I included the downlooker was one, for those that are shy and more reticent, to have the courage to look up and make that eye contact. It's hard when you're an introverted personality or you're nervous, but taking that extra conscious step to look somebody in the eye makes a huge difference in how you're perceived. But from the side of the interviewer, if that person, like the Nobel laureate, if they've got some of these issues like wrinkly clothes and they're not making eye contact, but they're phenomenal for the role, it's okay to overlook these things. The reason that I want to point it out to people is the downlooker probably doesn't even realize that they're doing it. And so when you start thinking, oh, I need to look someone in the eye, it's a simple thing to prompt yourself to do and makes all the difference in how somebody perceives you. Yeah, and I think some people don't really understand it, that they are oblivious to this. Some of these folks are just so tuned in to what they're doing that they're just not really aware of their impact on other people, but they're brilliant clearly brilliant you know and you know asperger's is is one of that group those folks are some of the most brilliant people i've ever met but eye contact is actually painful for them um it it, it hurts and so for me when i'm when i'm working with a patient like that i explain that you don't have to look at me it's cool i understand you're still paying attention but so many human beings think if you're not looking at me then somehow you're not paying attention which means I'm less valuable to you, which feels disrespectful. And, and I, I want just people to remember, that's an I am. Always doing the best we can. It's more interesting to figure out why they're doing it than, than worry why they're doing it. It's wonder instead of worry. It's so much more rewarding. The eye contact thing get really awkward though also. Yeah. Oh, yes. Contest. You know, and then all of a sudden yeah. you realize I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so focused on making eye contact. Yeah. So right, you have to be careful not to do the psycho stare, which is you're so focused <laughs> on eye contact that you're not blinking. You're just staring the person directly in the eye. And it's okay to blink and look away, look down at your paper. Just don't stare at your paper. And a couple pieces of advice, if you notice, Post-COVID, when you're talking to people and they're backing away from you, there's a good chance you're giving them the psycho stare and it's making them uncomfortable (laughs) because they can't figure out why you're just so focused on them, so intense. It makes people distrust you and feel, as you said, Mark, awkward. Yeah, And, and, and this really is adding such a new cultural nuance to who we are with COVID. Because I, I find when when I'm chatting with someone and they're moving closer towards me, I'm backing away because they're doing what you know what we always used to do, which you know try to get a little closer and chat. And I'm thinking, please, you know, 
you, it's just not cool anymore. We've got this new social distance. And that gets, that actually gets to the heinous handshaker. Because uh, I was I was reading through the um, the contents to one of my kids, and, and she said, "Oh well, well, we don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't handshake at all." But but let's talk about that one because I I think that's also something that is part of our culture. How about the handshaker? Well, now we have we are creating a new greeting dynamic, and ironically, right before we went to print was when COVID was coming out. So. Before COVID, you would want to have a good, solid handshake, and the person who extends their hand first takes the position of authority and confidence in a conversation. It's great. Now, you still need to greet people. And again, if you take that position of authority, you will be in control of the conversation. Mm. Now the recommendation is stop at a safe distance, obviously with your mask on, smile with your eyes to the best of your ability and say something to the person. Um, Hello, Mark. It's so nice to meet you. Obviously I'm not shaking hands right now, but we can elbow or fist bump or foot bump and then see what the other person does. Give them that option. Some people are ready to go with one or the other. Other people are just like, no, I'm good. And don't let it get awkward. If you take the lead and basically acknowledge it right up front, it puts the other person at ease. You set the ground rules and then you greet the person and move right on to the business at hand. Yeah. It's so, but it's so fascinating, isn't it? How these small things that we just took for granted for so long, are now, wait a sec, we may not want to shake someone's hand. And and even fist bumping or or elbow tapping, it's still a contact that a lot of people say, nah, it's okay. So I agree. Nice to meet you. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I I put my hand to my heart and and give a bow, a slight nod, a hello, a, a greeting. And I, I'm kind of hoping that that's what uh, catches on because um, I, I don't have a lot of hope in the handshake coming back full throttle either. Yeah. But, I, but I do yeah. like what you were saying that it's it's the person who was putting their hand out first was taking control of the situation. And that can be done in many different ways it, it, with the right. bow, right? You initiate. Sure. I hate the uh, the chicken wing thing, though. I, I that's <laughs> I'm, yeah, I, it's it's awkward. The whole thing is awkward. Yeah, true. And then you've got the person that comes running at you who is COVID, un, like fearless, and they want to give you the hug. Like we're all good. We've been quarantined. You're like, no. Ah. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, and the air hug. Air hug. Okay. Yeah. Air hug. Right. That's a weird thing too. That's a weird one. Air <laughs> hug. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the things I say to to my folks now is, you know, I've, I've got your back just six feet apart, so it's, it's okay. Um, what about, because I, I think these are so great, how about the gushy complimenter? Let's do that one. That sounds like a good one. The gushy complimenter is the person that is over the top. They're trying so hard to be nice and make a great impression that they come up as completely insincere. And 
It's actually modeled after a real person who every other word that this person would say was, don't you just love it? I love it. I love your shoes. I love your hair. I love your office. I love your company. Everything you do is great. And you just, it, it takes away from the compliment. You stop believing somebody that compliments absolutely everything. Again, I don't think they're intending to be taken in a negative light because they're trying to be kind and complimentary. But limit it. Be sincere in your compliments and don't go overboard. It, it just it takes away from the value of the compliment itself. Yeah. Trying too hard. Trying too hard. Yes. Right. Exactly. Which I think may unconsciously project an insecurity. Right. Right? Oh, absolutely. Right? That, you know, I have to, I have to tell you how great you are because it's really, I don't feel that great myself. So you're, you're fantastic. I think it's wonderful. You're great. You know, so glad to be here at, at this company and please, 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 please take me. <laughs> you know, well, and some people do it to reinforce, they compliment you and then they wait for you to give them the same right, right. compliment back. Right. And that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. How about the interrupt? Well, I'm hesitant to speak. Clearly the interrupter is the person who doesn't let the other person finish their and the problem with interrupting someone is twofold. One, it's rude to the other person. And two, often the interrupter jumps in to answer a question. And because they didn't listen to the question that was being asked, they end up answering the wrong question. And it's important to give the other person time to finish their thought finish their question, and truly listen to what the person is saying. Listen to learn, not to answer. And so often we are listening to answer, and we're not even paying attention to what the other person is saying. It's particularly hard for extroverts because extroverts, our brain, as it's processing a thought, it's coming right out of our mouth at the same time. So you to really rein it in, be quiet, be patient, give yourself tools to listen, and then give a great answer instead of just spewing something out in the middle of somebody else's sentence. It makes a huge difference in how the other person perceives you and also gives you a chance to give better answers to questions. Great. Mark, doesn't that fit right in with, with one of your uh, new mnemonics? Wait. 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 Why am I talking? Yeah, it's great. Perfect. But, but it, it, it is, it's, it's, um, there's also like an insecurity level too. Like if I don't hurry up and get this out, you know, I could forget. Right. And, and I really need to, I need to let them know about this. So I'm just going to jump right into it. And I, I could, I see that as, as really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> well, and on the other side of the table though, from an interviewer, sometimes, the person is just so excited and enthusiastic, they can't even stop themselves because they're so excited. And that's where I encourage the interviewer to really 
listen and see, is this a rude person who's not listening or is it just somebody who's so thrilled about the opportunity that they can't help themselves? Because you can coach people on this. This is not something that can't be taught. It is something you can teach someone to improve upon. It's so important to know that, that this is something you can learn. We, we've got another a Facebook uh, question here. Um, do you see generational differences in uh, the folks we're interviewing? Yes, uh, we have right now, I believe the most number of generations in the workforce that have ever existed in history. And so you'll have the baby boomers with very traditional workplace uh, behavior, the Xers all the way down um, to Gen Y and Gen Z. And they've all grown up in different worlds. Part of why I put the series together was to help generations have some basic norms that they can work around so that they can learn how to interrupt it, interact in a productive way and not be judgmental of each other simply based on age. Judging somebody because they're old, judging somebody because they're young, it helps to normalize the interaction. And it's very important to be respectful of each of the generations, not writing them off as, oh, they don't know what they're doing because each generation is important and brings an interesting set of skills to the table. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, as one of the older members of our particular crew, I I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Uh, I, I just want to get to one more. Um, and and this one, I, I'm so glad, man, that, that you put this one in because I get to say, I'm so glad that you did not apply this to coming back on the Dr. Joe show, the choosy assumer. Can you just tell us about the choosy assumer? Well, the choosy assumer is the person who talks themselves out of a job before they've even sent in their application or given the job a shot. And Sadly, I see this all of the time, people that don't even pursue an opportunity because they come up with all of these reasons why the move wouldn't be right for them, the benefits wouldn't fit, I'm sure they wouldn't interview me. And that is said from a personal development perspective, it makes me really sad. Mm. If there's something that's of interest to you, take a shot. If you get it, it's a wonderful accomplishment if you don't it's a learning experience but you never know how it'll go until you actually show up and participate in the process yeah again this this idea of low self-esteem not being able to do something folks this is what the i am is all about you have value you know and even if you don't think you can get the job that's your i am okay if you don't like it you can change it yeah, I, I, I apply it really to, to theater in so many ways because an actor will go in and apply for a part and they may not get it. And a good friend of mine who will be back on the show, Brad Mack, will say that it's not because you're not a good actor, it's just not what the director's looking for. And I think it's the same with, with any job interview. You may not be what that employer is looking for, but you'll never know 
unless you go and you try. So, but here's a book of tips of what not to do when you go in for those interviews. So once again, Anne, tell folks how they get this great book. It's available on Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Walmart, Target, anywhere that books are sold and would love to have you pick it up. Please do. And it's part of a series, Small Mistakes, Big Consequences. Mark, you've got the other one we interviewed Anne early on, and that is develop your soft skills to help you succeed. So would you sequence them that you do that one first and then this one, or does it matter? It doesn't matter. They they have uh, different focuses, but you don't have to read them in order. They're they're independently readable. I, I, like, it would be great if you wanted to read both of them. Yes, absolutely, and that's what I'm suggesting. Buy them both at the same time because they're such a good read, and they're they're really so easy to read because they're so clear. And each chapter is so precise. It's just like a a couple of pages, but boy, it just gets right into where you need to go. So we've got a a couple of minutes left. The I am, you know, has two basic rules, two truths. Because the four domains interconnect, your home, the social, your biological, and the I see, how I see myself, how I think other people see me, which we have been talking a lot about tonight how you think other people see you, and how you can influence that. We'll get to that part. Small changes can have big effects. It could not be more perfect. Small mistakes, big consequences. Small changes have big effects. And what small change can you recommend to our listeners that they can do as they go in for an interview? I think the biggest small change is to be prepared and be prepared at all levels of yourself, not just the answers to questions, but your body language, your facial expressions, your tone of voice, and really take the time to prepare. And then you'll be comfortable and do a great job and get the job. Nice. Yep. Be prepared, folks. So important. The second rule of the I am, everyone's got one. Everyone is interested in what you think or feel about them. And because of that, you're part of someone's home and social domain It affects their biological domain because you know it feels different if you're treated with respect or disrespect. This means you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Anne Baum, author of Small Mistakes, Big Consequences for Interviews and a series. What kind of influence do you want to be? I would like to influence people in a way that they see the best in themselves and it empowers them to succeed by giving them any tools that they need or encouragement so that they take that risk and whether it's getting a job or building a relationship that they're empowered to be the best they can be great thank you so much folks get the book small mistakes big consequences Ambaum. such a pleasure having you on i can't wait to have you back for the next book Folks, Thank we'll you. see you Thanks next week. Bye, folks.